Well, hey, look, um, today we find ourselves in a little bit of an in-between day. Um, we've just finished our section in the Gospel of Matthew that we've been going through. And uh, next week, we are going to begin Advent uh, as we look ahead towards Christmas coming around, which is only like four Sundays away. It's just a ripple of anxiety spread through the room, only four Sundays away. I know, right? Um, so what I wanted to do today where we've got this moment and this time together. Here, I'll put this down so I can see you guys. Otherwise, I'm staring at you through a microphone stand. Um, I want us to take a moment to just pause and reflect, particularly as next week is the AGM, and it's a really significant moment in the life of our church as we reflect on what God has done this past year. And we also look ahead. It's a moment to ask, why are we here? It's really, really easy in church life we have routines, and routines are wonderful, but it's really easy to just go through the routines without asking the deeper questions of why, why are we doing what we're doing? Why has God called us here for this season? Where are we, and where is Jesus leading us in this next year? Because it's going to be a crazy year, guys. As we grapple with the shifts going into a new space as we look at bringing another pastor on board, as we look at uh, branching out into multiple Easter camps, there's so many things that are happening. It's worth pausing to ask, God, what are you doing? Why are we here? And what can we do to be a part of it? So with that, I just want to pray as we jump into today. Jesus, more than anything as a church, we want to hear your voice. Jesus, more than anything as a church, we want to follow you faithfully. We want to be a church that has our eyes set on you and on what you're doing. So I pray today as we, as we sit and we listen to your word together, Jesus, that you would speak to us, each of us individually, but also to us as a community about what you are up to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I was reflecting on where our church is at, and it's been four and a half years old since we started. We're six months away from shifting into um, a new space out in Golden Sands uh, with all the opportunities but risks that that involves as we take on mortgages and uh, try to build up to some of these things. I was trying to reflect, God, what are you doing? And this week, there's one story from scripture that has grabbed me, that I just keep coming back to, that I wonder if it might help orientate us in where we are at as a church community. And it's a story that you find in Acts chapter 10 and 11. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open up and follow through those with me. Um, but where you get up to in this part of the gospel is, again, um, Acts is the story of what happens to the church after Jesus returns back to the Father. And it begins with the Spirit coming and anointing and filling the disciples of Jesus in Pentecost. We get tongues of fire and they all um, start to speak in tongues and God begins to do things. And what you find is in Acts... It's the church grappling with the ramifications of what Jesus has done, but also what the Spirit is still doing. And so in this chapter, in chapter 10, Acts opens up on the story of a guy named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius isn't necessarily one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's actually a Roman centurion, which makes him a Gentile, which makes him outside of the bandwidth of what people were thinking. And so it's really interesting that Acts then shifts, because it's done the story of Saul, it then pivots to the story of this Roman centurion, this outsider. And in Acts 10, it says that there's in Caesarea, there was a name named Cornelius. And he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and they gave generously to those in need, and they prayed to God regularly. 
And then one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now, I love this. Again, the Bible's so relatable. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? Which just makes me happy because it's like, he had no idea. An angel appears in his room and he's freaking out. That's the logical human thing to do, right? So God interrupts Cornelius's day and meets with him. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men into Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Cornelius, as soon as the vision departs, does exactly what the angel tells him to and sends out a couple of servants to Joppa to go find this man whose name was Simon but was called Peter. Now at the same time, you have Peter who's in Joppa. And Peter is up on the roof of his house praying. And I'm trying to imagine, like, put yourself in Peter's shoes, right? Your master that you've walked with for three years has just died and risen again. I mean, you're going to spend a whole lifetime being like, did that just happen? Right? So he's doing that. And then since then, God has just continued to push the bounds. Everybody was speaking in tongues. There were like 3,000 being added to the church in one day. And if he's anything like a pastor, he was probably up on the roof on his knees being like, what is happening? What am I doing? I can't handle this. Like, there's so much that God is doing. God's just unleashing and moving. And up here, as he prays on this rooftop, he gets a vision. God comes to him in a vision, and he looks up, and he sees from the heavens this blanket being lowered down, this sheet. And inside of the sheet is a whole bunch of animals. Now, again, Jews had rules around what animals they could eat and what animals they couldn't eat. And this sheet was filled with all the animals that he couldn't eat. And this vision says to him, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, um, no thank you. I'm kosher. Not my thing. And the vision says to him again, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, I can't. It's it's not for me. It's outside of my boundary lines. And then a third time, this thing says, Peter, kill and eat. And then the vision recedes. The sheet goes back up. And so while Peter is wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now imagine that. You've just had this vision. The church is going crazy, and you don't know how to contain it. You're praying for God for the wisdom. Suddenly you get a vision about animals that you're supposed to eat. That's weird. And then you hear some Roman guards calling out for you, saying, Is the man whose name is Simon called Peter here? You'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? And so up from the roof, while Peter was still thinking about the vision... The spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them to you. It's a big deal. Jews don't go into Gentile houses. Jews don't go into Gentile spaces. And there God is telling Peter to go to this Roman centurion's house and be there. It's crazy. So Peter goes out with them. He goes and he visits, and he goes to Cornelius' house, and he enters into the home, and Cornelius meets him, and Cornelius falls at Peter's feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up, being like, stand up, I'm only a man myself. Again, I just love how relatable scripture is, being like, this is awkward, just stand up, please. And while talking with him, Peter went inside, and he found not just Cornelius, but this large gathering of people. 
And so Peter said, he's like, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I'm not call, I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? And then Cornelius begins to say, we long to know who this God is. We long to know more about what God is doing and what the Spirit is doing. And so Peter, against like all odds, God has thrust him into this situation that he didn't plan for, that's outside of his comfort zone. So Peter does what he does. He shares the gospel story. He shares a message of Jesus with them and tells them all about this Jesus Christ of Nazareth who lived and died and now rose again and lives again and rules and reigns. And that through his death, there is forgiveness of sins for all of us. And now listen to this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised who with believers, so all the Jews who came with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said at the end of chapter 10, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Peter stayed with them for a few days more. It's this incredible story. And it's, it's a story that I think can help ground us in what God is doing in our context now. And there's a couple of things that I think are helpful. One all throughout Acts, we see that Jesus' mission, which if you've been following along with us in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is not there just for kumbaya and for warm fuzzies, is he? He's not just there to make people feel good. He comes with a purpose. And what's his purpose? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. God's rule and reign is coming, and he is going to make, in the language of our church, all things new. And what I love about this is it again shows in Acts that God is at work. God has a purpose, and he's planning on doing something. God's not sitting idly by, and God wants to do things both in people and in places. So one of my personal frustrations um, is often when we think about the gospel or what God wants to do, we can pigeonhole God into the things that we care most about. And I see this most clearly when you look at those of us who are probably perhaps more liberal, progressive-leaning and then those of us who are more conservative leaning. When I look at how those different groups talk about the gospel, we prioritize different things. If you talk to someone who's my age, perhaps a little bit more progressive or liberal, we love gospel renewing places. We love talking about big systematic injustices, racism, poverty, global warming, these big, huge issues that are chewing people up. We love talking about the gospel of how Jesus is gonna come and fix those things. The prophets are filled with stories about how God is going to overturn the proud and give, lift up the humble and bring justice for the people. There's lots of us in the progressive space. We love that, but sometimes we can only love that, right? And then in that progressive space, we get a little bit uncomfortable about personal morality or sin. I don't know if you've talked to anyone my age, but talking about sin is not the most comfortable thing to do with a 20-year-old. They're like, eh, yeah, take it or leave it. Well, on conservatives, you can have the opposite challenge. Those of us who were born and grew up in the evangelical church, we love the message of Jesus Christ has died and risen for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, yeah, feels good, 
right? You can be freed from your addictions and your personal uh, shame and guilt and all those things can free us. But on the, the big global stuff, we're like, yeah, that seems a little political for me. Mm, I don't know if the church should really bother getting into those things. We just, we care about our own personal, personal morality things. One of the things that I love about our church One of our vision statements is we want to see God make all things new. And we talk about that as both people and places renewed by the power of Jesus. And what I love about this story is you see God at work, at his mission, restoring both people and places. The big structural things, but also the personal little things. Jesus is at work in this story doing both. In our world, we like to separate them and it's either or, but maybe in the gospel, it's both and. Maybe in the gospel of Jesus, it is both people and places. I mean, look at this. Look at the, looking at it from a structural point of view, there was a huge systemic injustice that God had to deal with, which was Jesus wanted to come and restore people, but the Jews were a little bit unsure about whether the Gentiles should have access to that. I don't know if we should go into those spaces. Going into a Gentile's house that's against our rules, it's a little bit political, but what does God do? He barrels right through it. And he tears down that wall saying, the Gentiles have equal access to my presence as the Jews do. He tackles a racial and a systemic inequality that the church was walking through to redeem and make the church more faithful. Listen to that. Peter's language um, when he's uh, later on, because Peter got in trouble for this. When he gets back to Jerusalem, everybody's like, "Um, Peter, you're not supposed to go there and you're not supposed to do that. And so Peter has to give an account of why he did it and listen to his justification at the end. Peter, talking to the other Jews, Christians, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That is a big structural systemic challenge that Jesus ministered into and restored. But it's not just that. It gets personal. In in Peter's telling of the gospel, one of the things that Peter emphasized was this that Jesus commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge. God is the judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets who testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives what? The forgiveness of sins through his name. It is a both and. And in our church, you will hear that language often We want to see God make all things new in people and in places. And as we go into this next season, and we're going to have some more people explore faith and want to know more, we have a challenge, a gospel-grounded challenge to hold those things together. It cannot be an either-or. It is a both-and. As a church, we have to worry about the poverty in our neighborhoods, the challenges that our school faces, the way that Maldi can be interacted and grown in their faith as Maldi in this country. We have a gospel responsibility to care about those things. But we also have a duty to keep talking about the forgiveness of sins through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's only through repentance 
and going up to the cross and dying to ourselves through baptism and coming back up that God's spirit is able to unleash new resurrection life within us. It is a both end. We cannot do one or the other, church. Jesus, his mission is for both, and we are called to both. The second thing that I want to draw out from this passage, besides holding those two things in tension together, is this. This is God's work. And the church and we are just following him. So one of the things about Acts is, I don't know, in some of your Bibles, um, when you open up to the very first page of Acts, it usually says something like, the Acts of um, the, the church and the disciples. The Acts of the disciples and the church following on from Jesus. It is the worst heading to a book you could ever find in the world. Because when you read that, who's taking all the initiative in this story? Who's got the leadership and the plan that they're accomplishing things? And who is on the back foot constantly in this story? I can tell you, it is not the acts of the disciples that are leading this charge. It's God. Honestly, the story of Acts is not the story of Acts of the Disciples. It's the story of the Acts of God's Spirit as he continues the ministry of Jesus now through a people and a place. Over and over and over again, God is leading ahead of them, and the disciples are reeling, trying to catch up with all the ways that God's at work. They're praying in a room, suddenly tongues of fire, and they're speaking in tongues, and they don't know what's happening, and then everybody suddenly outside is coming in, and now there's a whole crowd, and Peter's like, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just tell the story. 3,000 people become saved. I can tell you that was not through the disciples' initiative, that one. Or this story, let's look at it uh, in, with Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, uh, who was known in the Italian regiment. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, who's the actor, the prime mover in this story? It's God, isn't it? Then you have Peter, the rock, the person on whom God builds this church. Let's look at this story. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Who's the leader in this story? Is it Peter? No. Peter is still the disciple. He's still the follower of what God is doing. And even at the very end, listen to that phrase. Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. For they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So when these Gentiles all become Christians, faith-filled, spirit-preaching-in-tongue believers, who did that? Was it Peter? No. Peter was midway through talking when God interrupted him again and did it anyway, right? There's this thing where God is the one who is at work, and it's so easy for us to forget that. It'd be very easy for us to forget that. In church, we love programs, and we love the things that we can do. We want to be good, and we want to be structurally organized, and those are all good things. Those aren't bad, but we can forget, and we can sometimes insert ourselves as the leader in the story that it's our job as a church to go and do things for God because he needs us. I can't tell you how many people, I'm, I was speaking at some youth events uh, for Easter camp for the last few weeks. I can't tell you how many young people that I talk to, when I hear about their story of God, they know that God's with them. Sure, God's watching, but it's still like God's watching and waiting to see what they'll do. It's like God's waiting to see, are you going to do this for me or are you not going to do this for me? 
Are you going to measure up to what I want you to do? Or are you not going to measure up to what I want you to do? It's like God is this passive one with his arms folded waiting for us to take the initiative. Is that the picture of God you see in Acts? Is God passive with his arms folded waiting for us to do things? Is God waiting and needing us to move forward with things? Does Jesus need us? No. It's the honest answer. It's an uncomfortable answer. But Jesus doesn't need us. His spirit's at work. But he wants to involve us. He calls us to participate. He calls us to join with him to what? To follow him. Often when I talk about we are following Jesus together, I don't mean we are trying to imitate Jesus together. I don't mean we're trying to pretend or cosplay being more like Jesus. I mean we are literally following on from Jesus because he's already doing stuff and we're just trying to catch up. I want to reflect. Think about this year, church. Think about what God has done in our church and how much of it has been our initiative versus how much of it has been God's initiative. I still remember a year ago when we're short of cash and the building consents are coming through and we're looking for things. And think of how God has incredibly provided for us, miraculously provided for us through sacrificial, generous giving of people who listened to the Spirit who prompted them to say, you should give in to this. But this is the Spirit's work. And remember the difficulty of COVID and the challenge that we had to love one another in that. I often talk about how that season, it felt like we were just stagnant, but I wonder whether God was just building some foundations in us to make sure that we could love each other even in the midst of the difficulty even if we're wildly polarized, that, that we would still love Jesus and one another more than everything else the world wanted us to divide over. And then think, think of all the stuff that's happened since May. In my annual report, I talked about the church as almost like a boat, and it was like we were kind of just holding the ship together during COVID, and then it was like once May hit, God's spirit has been blowing, and we've been struggling to keep up. I think of Linda who listened to the call of God to start an op shop because we knew we needed to serve our young people and we didn't have the cash to do it. So Linda follows the leading of Jesus and now provides us with enough finances that we can hire a full-time youth pastor this year to invest in the next generation of young people and to invest in our school. Look at what God has done in that space. I think of God bringing someone like Brian For me, I'm not an organizational genius, and I don't know what the next stage is going to hold, and I'm wildly under-equipped for what is coming. So God sends a leader who's been on that journey before to help guide us through that next stage in a loving, humble, and mentoring way. Wow, look at what God is doing. Look at the people that have joined in our community since then, faces and names that I can see now interacting in our community, and you are such a blessing to us. Think of the Smiths and the Voss families and and Kale on the sound desk only joined a couple of weeks ago and now serving in this space. Look at what God is bringing. Look what God is preparing. Remember those baptisms? We haven't, we tried to run an alpha this year. We just didn't have the capacity or the people. We didn't have the ability to run an alpha, yet we've had more baptisms this year than any year in our church. Is that because of our grand activity? No. Who's working? Jesus. And we're just trying to keep up. Nathan, I'm never going to forget your baptism. I'm never going to forget the way that God ministered through you to our church 
in your baptism and when you led us in communion a month ago. I'm not going to forget that of how Jesus ministered to us in that space. God brought Nathan to us for this season, for this time. And it's not just that. God is working in people's lives. Alan, you continue to minister to me with the goodness of God. And we look forward to your baptism. We need to book that in, don't we? Because God, you came here not expecting anything, but who's gotten a hold of you? It's Jesus, hey? Jesus has grabbed a hold of your life. I'm calling you out. Sorry, I'm calling people out. Because this is what God's doing. And I'm trying to keep on top of it, but I can't. It's like his spirit is going ahead of us. This past week, ooh, I'm going to move that back. This past week, I had somebody come over to my house, and I hope they're going to get baptized here in a couple of weeks, that I hadn't seen in two years. Two years ago, I got to talk to them, and they were in a really difficult space. They came to this church, and I got to explain the gospel of Jesus to them. And then they kind of went on their own way, and I was just trusting that to God. This past week, they came over to my house, and in two years of not talking to them, Jesus has grabbed a hold of their lives. They have since become deep lovers and followers of Jesus. I don't want to tell too much of their story because I want them to share it of the baptism that we can hopefully get done before the end of this year. But it's amazing, miraculous things. Their partner that they're with, who's Hindu, they showed a Jesus video online from YouTube. And her partner fell in love with Jesus. It might have been a crappy video. I don't know. But God used it. And now both he and her want to get baptized because they've fallen in love with the person of Jesus. God is at work. It's not us. Jesus is leading this story. And I'll tell you what, Jesus loves this community. Jesus loves Papamoa and he loves the people in it. And his gospel as it work, both in their individual lives, but also in our neighborhood as a whole with the challenges that we face. Housing insecurity, isolation, loneliness, mental health challenges, breakdowns of marriages, Suicides at our local high school, way more than there should ever be. Jesus cares deeply about those things, and he's at work. And so our job, church, as we frame where we are right now, is to ask, how do we just follow Jesus faithfully and keep up with what he is already doing? And so there's some simple things that I want to call us to on this day. This logo for us that just really represents these core things. How do we keep on step with Jesus? And when we look at the craziness of what this next year is going to be, we got to commit ourselves to some basic practices that have sustained the church through thousands of years. We continue to worship. Jesus is the ground and the center of our being. And he can never be a tangent because he is our leader. We follow him. So we are a worshiping community. Discipleship. Each and every one of us has to grow on a journey to become more like Jesus. We are in a constant state of repentance and forgiveness. That doesn't just happen once. That is a lifelong journey. And if we want to see people experience the forgiveness and love of God, we must ourselves be embodying that as well. Jesus, or Peter gave from what God had already given him. We participate in God's mission into our neighborhood. I'm particularly thinking of this high school and the youth in our area who desperately need the love and the grace of God. We need to serve and participate, sacrificially participate in that mission. And finally, we do it as a community. Faith is not an individualistic journey. You cannot follow Jesus alone. He puts you in a family for a reason. And I believe he has brought you to this family for a reason. God has a plan and a purpose. 
Not because we're amazing, we're not. We're just normal people like Peter trying to follow Jesus. But God is at work. And that's the basis of our church. If I could keep saying anything, our grounding and our basis is this, is that Jesus is at work making all things new. And we as a church are just a community of average people trying to hold on white knuckling to keep up with what God's doing. And so today on this day, if I can invite the band up, we're going to look at finishing. This next year is going to be interesting for us. At the AGM, we're talking about elders and constitutions and um, nomination processes and budgets. And we got a big budget that we're trying to pull off with a deficit that is significant. And we're in faith hoping that God will meet us in that. But I guess my question is for us as a church, and it's probably for you, of what is your part to play in this? Up in that, um, up in that prayer meeting just before with uh, Malcolm and Shirley, um, I was just reflecting on all the things that God has been doing in the life of our church. Isn't it amazing? I'm hoping that we can get a few more people baptized before the end of the year. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? I think of our youth ministry that's now getting regularly like around 40 kids there when we were just getting started again in term two and how God has blessed that and how we need more leaders really because we don't have enough leaders to do small groups well to have the conversations with the kids that we need to. God's just, God's moving. And like Peter, we're just trying to keep up with it. And so church, on this day, as we look ahead to the AGM and as the year winds down and we look ahead to the next year, I want to finish with this. Uh, a bit of a confession. One of my greatest weaknesses is I, um, I don't want to put any undue burdens on you, and so I try to do a lot. I was talking with Bernie about this week. Um, I don't want to put too much pressure or burden on you as a church, so I'll try and do some things. I'll step into that gap. But here's the honest reality. For what God wants to do in our neighborhood, I am in way over my head. I'm in way over my head. And I can't just keep trying to do these things or run youth group or be there for kids ministry or run Sundays or speak at all these events. I can't, I can't do it. I don't think God wants me to. But instead, God gathered a community of wonderful people like you. Each of you who have your own journey, each of you who like the Gentiles and the Jews have God's spirit that has been poured out on you. And the great thing about Acts is how God suddenly begins to work, not just through Peter and Paul, but through everybody. For us to keep going, God wants to use not just me, but he wants to use you. Whether you're someone who's been here the whole time, how does God want to continue to use you to reach out and accomplish this mission that he's doing in this region? How does God want to use you? Even if you're here for the first time, I reckon God brought you here for a reason. This is a church where we, God wants to use you in this mission. Does he need you? No. But maybe he's tapping on your shoulder like he was tapping on Peter's shoulder, saying, hey, maybe you need to go with these people. Maybe you need to go and speak with these people. Maybe you need to start something like John, who's put up his hand to be like, I'm going to start a group just to love and serve the people in our neighborhood. How is God calling you to this mission? My goal for next year, and you can keep me accountable, is I'm going to try and get better at saying no and asking you to do more things. Because it's just, I'm over my head. 
God's doing too much. I can't keep up. And I think that's on purpose because he wants you. 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 He wants to use you. Each and every one of you to start having conversations with your neighbors and your family about faith. He wants to use you to lead small groups where people can be known and loved in a culture that is isolated and lonely. He wants to lead you to run children's programs so that young people, young kids grow up knowing that God loves them. And then that becomes a stable form of their identity. He wants to use you to go into somebody's garden and clean up and tidy it so that someone who has been left alone knows that they are not alone and that God sees them and that he loves them. He wants to use you to cook up a curry and a big meal so that when someone comes into community, there's a warm, hot plate of food that says you are seen and known and loved here. God wants to use you. He wants to use all of us. And so what is your space in this journey? Maybe that's the spirit right there. really excited. I'm genuinely so excited for this next year. Also terrified. Mostly excited. Because I think God has something big in store. And it's not just going to be through me, it's going to be through you. Through us. Through our community. His spirit will work. So I want to pray. And I want to make some space that God might speak to you. How might God wanting to be shoulder tap you to be a part of this journey and go to follow Jesus? Jesus, I thank you that you're at work. Oh God, you're doing things. And as a church, we continue to celebrate all the ways that you're working. Through Linda, Nathan, Alan and John, through John and Vicky, through Sylvia, through Chris and Annie, Malcolm and Shirley, through Brian and Bernie, through Kale, Cam and Zara. God, you, you're shoulder tapping us because you want us to be a part of this. Lord, in this moment, we just want to make some space for you to speak. What is it that you might be speaking to us about? How might you be interrupting our day to participate in what you are doing? Let's just take a moment to wait on him. wonder if we can do something together just as we finish. I'm reminded of the passage in Isaiah. The very beginning, the prophet Isaiah begins to feel the call of God 
on his lips. And he calls out, God says, who will go? And I says, here I am. Send me. Maybe if you're not sure, maybe God, maybe today it's just a chance to put up your hand and say, look, God, I'm open. And so maybe I can ask us today to have a bit of a response. As we look ahead to this year and as we tell stories of what God is doing and we know what he has yet to do, if you're willing to just put up your hand and say, here I am, God, send me, could I ask you to stand? You don't know, it might have something in concrete or you might not know, but if you feel like you're ready to go on that journey and there's something God might want to do or you're just willing to be a part of it, would you stand with me and say, God, here I am, send me. God calls the church because he wants to use a body, not just one person. He wants to use a community. And he wants to use you. Let's pray together. God, as we stand here as a community, Lord, we don't know what this next year is going to hold. We have some ideas. We have some plans in place. But Jesus, you could surprise us. You've already surprised us this year. Never would have thought we could have like 10 baptisms in the last couple of months of the year. But you're at work. You're doing things. And so God, today here as a church community, we stand together and say, Lord, whatever you have planned, we don't know all the right answers. We don't necessarily know what we're meant to do. But like Peter or Cornelius, we are able to stand up and say, God, we're willing. Here we are. Would you use us? Holy Spirit, I pray for an anointing just to fall in this room right now. As we stand with arms open and hearts willing, God, would you begin to line up the pieces that are needed for this next year? God, would you begin to orchestrate and place us in the places that we need to be? Would you begin to line us up and move us around like pieces on a board for what you want to do? And Lord, if that's a season where we have to step up, Lord, give us the courage to do that. God, if there's a season we may need to let something go, God, give us the courage to let something go. God, if there's a person we need to talk to or shoulder tap, Lord, would you give us their name and their idea, drop it into our minds. But God, we stand not because we are competent or capable, not because we're amazing, but we stand because we have faith in you and what you're doing. Jesus, you are at work in Papamoa, and we know that you want to make all things new and people and places renewed by the power and the goodness of your love, and we want to be a part of that journey, Jesus. I want to be a part of that journey. So, Lord, here we are. Would you send us and use us, we pray.